Hi, I'm Lana. I will be reading the Bible for us today. Uh, today's reading is from Mark 10, verse 32 to 52. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Talking the twelve aside again, taking the twelve aside him again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and then he will rise after three days. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are, they told him. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and you'll be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those whom it has been prepared. When the disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, mm. Bartimus, the son of Timonus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, Have courage, get up, he's calling you. He threw off his cloak and jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man, said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. Sorry, Trevor. Here. Um, uh, good morning, friends. My name is Chris. I'm the Church at 6.30 Minister. It's my privilege to uh, unpack God's Word with you this morning. So how about I pray for God's help as we uh, consider the words of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you that uh, as we read your Word, you speak to us and you've done exactly that. And so as we look at your Word more closely... We pray that you would help us to read and understand the words of Jesus, to inwardly digest them and apply them to our lives, not so that we may be smarter sinners, but so that we may walk more closely with you and serving the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, if you could keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at that quite closely this morning. A phrase that always sticks with me is this. It's not just 
Life is not just taught, it's caught. That is to say, we do life, the way that we do life is not just something that can be taught in the classroom, it's something that's modelled to us by our family, our culture and the world. And two of the two key people who have modelled Christianity to me was my church, mum and dad. Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, so when I became a Christian, Chris and Carol, uh, an older couple at church, spiritually adopted me, after I'd been adopted by Jesus, that is. Uh, On Wednesday nights, I would go around to their place for dinner, and Carol modelled patience, service, and deep trust in the Lord. Chris modelled to me what it meant to be a Christian man, to read the Bible and to pray. And for years, they modelled to me what it meant to follow Jesus and serve others. When Mel and I started dating, I even took her around to their place for dinner to get their approval. Role models are not just for the young, they are for Christians of all ages. We all need role models and mentors in our Christian faith because they have walked the path before us. They correct us. They challenge us. They keep our eyes fixed in the goal and they help us to grow. But the opposite is true as well of our Christian walk. You see, our Christian walk will be shaped by the role models that we follow, whether they are good or bad. I start with the idea of role models today because in our passage, Jesus asks the same questions to two groups of people. Did you notice that? In verse 36, it's to James and John. And in verse 51, to blind Bartimaeus, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And in the two different answers they give, they show that there are two fundamentally different approaches to life, two polar opposite approaches to life. If you like, there are two forces at work in this world that are modelling how we should live our life, that are modelling how we should follow Jesus. You see, on the one hand, there is the force of the world, a force in our hearts, It's the force. My clicker has died. You'll have to go to the next slide, thanks. There is the force of the world, the force of pride. Pride leads to arrogance. It dehumanizes others. It destroys our relationships. It's so destructive because the force of pride in our heart asks How can I show you that I'm better? How can I get you to serve me? So the other side of this is the force of humility. It asks the question, how can I serve you? Or how can I sacrifice what I have so that you can become all that God has called you to be? You see, we have in this world these two forces that are modelling for us what it means to live a life and to follow Jesus. John Stott puts it this way, that at every step of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. When we follow the models of pride in this world, it blinds us to seeing who Jesus clearly is and serving other people. And so to combat this pride, we need someone to teach us 
what true humility is so we can see Jesus clearly and follow him. And Mark chapter 10, Jesus gives exactly that. Did you notice that? Have a look in your Bibles. Chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It is Jesus who gives us that ultimate model to follow. And so this morning, I want to ask you, as someone who follows Jesus, are you following the world or are you following King Jesus? Friends, in the word of Ed Springer, welcome back to the road to Jerusalem. Remember in chapters 8 to 10, Jesus is walking to Jerusalem and he's ultimately going to the cross. Last week, Jesus encountered pride in the religious leaders and the rich young ruler. They thought that either their knowledge or keeping the law meant that they were automatically on God's team and going to have eternal life. But Jesus says, no, you've got it wrong. It's not what you know and it's not what you do that gets you into God's, into the kingdom of God. It's how you come to Jesus. You see, it was their pride that stopped them from seeing Jesus clearly and following him. And this week, the shock is that the pride we saw before has appeared in the hearts of the disciples, in the hearts of James and John. And so three points for us today. The first is a model of glory. Once again, Jesus is on that road to Jerusalem. And for the last three chapters, Mark has been describing this kind of like a convoy going out west. It's Jesus striding ahead of them. The disciples are behind and the crowds are at the back. And so James and John look around and see this as an opportunity to ask Jesus a question. Have a look at verse 35 with me. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't ask them, what do they want for other people? No, he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question if Jesus asked you that blank check? Because if we were honest in our answer... It would reveal our heart, what matters most to us and what we truly want. And for James and John, they ask for the greatest positions in the kingdom of God, to sit at the right hand and the left hand of King Jesus in his glory. But the strange thing, the strange thing with this is that, you see, every time Jesus has announced uh, that he will give his life away, It sets off the disciples in this fighting for position, fighting for power, fighting for prestige. You notice that at the beginning of our reading where Jesus predicts his death, that he will go to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise again. It's almost as if when Jesus gets clearer about giving his life, it irritates, it aggravates, it creates self-centred displays of ego and pride. Now, I don't want to be too hard on the disciples in the same way 
You see, in some way, they understand that Jesus is the Messiah, yet they still haven't let the grace and mercy of Jesus penetrate their hearts. It's their insecurities that gives birth to pride and their pride that seeks glory. But Jesus says, you've missed something, which is stating the obvious, right? Um, Have a look at verse 38. Jesus said to them, you don't know what what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Jesus says, if you want to share in my glory then you must share in my suffering as well. And to explain this, Jesus uses a visceral image, a cup and baptism. You see, a cup is a reference that we see all across the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 25, 15, we read this. This is what the Lord, God, the, Lord the God of Israel said to me, take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and make all the nations to whom I am sending you drink from it. Jesus is saying is that he is the one who will drink the cup of the whole judgment of God that was promised in the Old Testament. And then he turns to James and John and says, can you drink it? Jesus talks about baptism. Baptism is a word that comes um, uh, from uh, uh, the Greek word to describe the dyeing of cloth, plunging cloth into dye. So Jesus saying is that he's the one who will be fully submerged and fully covered in the judgment of God. And he turns to James and John and he says, can you do that? And I love their response. (laughs) They foolishly say, nah, yeah, Jesus, I think we can do that. You see, on one hand, it's impossible for them to drink this cup. Jesus, the righteous son of God, is the only one who can absorb the wrath and judgment of God. It is God the Father who has ordained this by his will. But on the other hand, they will drink the cup and they will be baptised as they face sufferings and persecutions and ultimately lose their life for proclaiming the truth of Jesus. You see, Jesus is modelling a path to glory for all people, who wish to follow him. It's not to shy away from suffering, but it's to value it as a path that we walk together and as God uses it to grow us to be more like Jesus. You see, the promise of sharing in God's in Jesus' glory is something that God gives to all people who believe in Jesus. But it's a path that we walk of suffering and shame in this world before we get to salvation. You see, it's our pride that gives us this sense of entitlement. It's a pride that teaches us to seek comfort in this life. It's our pride that seeks that teaches us to seek security and an easy life rather than following Jesus and making the hard calls. It's our pride that stops us from seeing that Jesus is worthy of our sacrifice. It's our pride that stops us from giving up our whole life to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus gives his disciples a model, uh, his disciples and us a model for him to follow to glory. And then he gives us a model of greatness, which brings us to our second point. You see, after this, 
the other disciples, they hear about it. And they become indignant to James and John. Can you just imagine the convoy coming back together? Peter's like, hey, James, John, you guys forgot about me. I thought we had a pack together. You know, it was us three on the Mount of Transfiguration. What about me? Uh, And Matthew, you know, he's like... Typical sons of thunder, always wanting the glory. Uh, And Thomas is like, hang on, you can actually ask for that? Like you can go to Jesus and he gives you that? Why didn't I think of that? Jesus isn't angry at James and John. He doesn't curse them or send them away. He does this beautiful thing. He draws them in closely and teaches them so that they may better understand their heart. Have a look at verse 42. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions of act, positions acts as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you will be slave to all. The leaders who belong to this world chase dominance and authority, They lead by subduing others and seeking their own glory. And so according to the world, Jesus says, greatness is seen in power and prestige and influence. And Jesus says, verse 43, it's not so with you. It's not so for those who follow him. This is not the way that you are to live. You see, greatness in the kingdom of God, greatness is those who come low those who give up their prestige, their power and their position in order to become a servant. The original word is there is house servant. That is, in God's kingdom, to follow Jesus, you must become a slave of all and everyone is your master. Can you see how this must be shocking for the disciples to read back then? And doesn't it feel shocking for us to read today? Can you feel the weight of it? Jesus is teaching us and the disciples that there are two different forces in this world. There is the force of pride that is modelled to us by the leaders of this world and the force of humility that seeks to be a servant of all. And the problem is not the disciples' ambitions. The problem is not their pursuit, their goals, their dreams or their desire for greatness. That's not the problem. The problem is that they are in the wrong camp. The world's view of greatness has blinded them to seeing who Jesus really is and what it means to follow him. They think following Jesus means to be great. Jesus says no. Jesus says yes. Following me means, means greatness, but through service. You see, what they need is a better model of greatness than what the world offers. And Jesus gives them that in verse 45. Have a look at it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to say something controversial here. Hold your seats. I think this is the most important verse in all of Mark's gospel. Because here, for the first time, Jesus tells us the purpose of his death to be a ransom. And he also tells us the nature of his death as a servant. You see, the title, the Son of Man, has a deep Old Testament history. For example, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, we read about the promised Son of Man. 
Daniel says, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man was coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. Can you see why Jesus' words to the disciples are so scandalous? They're expecting the Son of Man, a king, a a great warrior king with God's power and authority and that all people would serve him. And Jesus says, what has to happen first? Verse 45, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus has predicted his death three times. And this time he gives us the purpose. It is a ransom. You see, in the first century, this is a legal term. It's the money you would pay to release prisoners from jail. But Jesus didn't write a blank check for us. His payment was his blood. Jesus' service was a sacrifice of perfect obedience to the will of God. It was a full expression of God's love. And as our substitute on the cross, he fully satisfies the justice of God. You see, this world looks to the cross as an act of weakness, of humiliation and defeat. But Jesus says, no, the cross is an act of service that wins salvation for all people who want to believe in Jesus. And so in this way, the cross is not a failure. The cross is not weakness. The cross is greatness. The cross is a victory because it frees us from sin and death and becomes a model for us to follow. So what I want you to think about is, there we are, an upside-down pyramid. You see, what Jesus is teaching is the most counterintuitive, upside-down, inside-out idea about human greatness that you've ever heard. You see, the culture of this world is a tide that we swim against as we follow Jesus Christ. And it's in the coming low and serving in God's kingdom that we find true greatness. The world's understanding of greatness is, I have to struggle, I have to compete, I need to win, I need to achieve my greatness. And what does this do to us? It creates an insecurity within us. It means that when we walk into a workplace or into our family or or even into church, we immediately filter out the people who can't help our position, who won't bow the knee to our power, who won't advance our direction. We, We ask the question, what can I get out of this person and how can they serve me? This is why volunteer teams could break down at church. This is why why workplaces break apart. This is why families fall apart. Because in our insecurities, our desire is to be seen as great and do that at the expense of someone else. But Jesus says it's not so if you belong in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, when you walk into the room, don't look at people and think to yourself, how can these people serve me and my interests? Walk into the room and think, how can I serve these people? 
What is God calling me to be for them? How can I serve them in such a way that they live up to what God has called them to be? It means our volunteer leaders at church need to give up their own rights to serve on teams with others. It means that when we go to work, uh, we need to be willing to serve and come second. It means husbands, husbands, we need to ask ourselves, what can I give up for the sake of my family to serve them? You see, Jesus is saying greatness in the kingdom is not the one who bides for power, position and prestige, but one who comes low to serve others. And who has come the lowest? It is Jesus. For Jesus has served us all through his death on the cross. Um, Finally, at the end of this story, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters a model disciple. You see, Jesus is 40 k's from Jerusalem. He's in a town called Jericho. He's on the home straight. And he encounters a blind man called Bartimaeus. Hard word to say. Let's call him Bart. But our blind mate Bart doesn't want money. He wants something else. Have a look at verse 47. When he, that's Bart, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Friends, remember that this is before modern medicine, before Centrelink, before social services. So it's common for beggars in Jericho to sit on the road that led to Jerusalem. Their hope would be that a devout Jew on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem might give them some money so they can buy some food. And so in the first century, this beggar is on the sidelines of society. He's the marginalised. He's at the same level as the leper, the bleeding woman and the children. And that's why the crowd wants to give, keep him quiet. Just as they rebuked and held back the children, they rebuke and hold back his access to Jesus. But you see, blind Bart has insight and understanding. He has insight because he knows the promises of the Old Testament, promises like 2 Samuel 7 that God would establish the throne of his kingdom through a descendant of David. That's why he cries out, son of David. He's calling Jesus the Christ, God's king. And he has understanding because he knows the unmerited kindness, the mercy of God can only be given by God. He understands that God's king is the only one who can give God's mercy and he sees his deepest need is not for power, prestige, or position, but for mercy. So he asks, he pleads with Jesus, and Jesus, who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, answers his prayer. See, Jesus loves to answer this prayer. Jesus loves to give people mercy. Have a look at verse 51. Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you, Rabboni? Which means Lord. The blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus. 
The man asks to see, and Jesus says, you have been saved. I take it that Jesus uses the word saved here and not healed because he saves the man in two ways. Jesus saves the man physically because immediately he physically sees. His quality of life is restored. He has healing and wholeness. Secondly, he saves the man because now he can spiritually see. What does spiritual sight look like? What does it mean to see Jesus clearly? Well, he immediately follows Jesus and serves him. You see, it's a beautiful irony from chapters 8 to 10 that it's the blind beggar who sees Jesus the most clearly. You know, consider the Pharisees in chapter 10, the guys who assumed they were in the kingdom based on their knowledge. Jesus doesn't welcome people into the kingdom just because of knowledge. Consider the rich young ruler. He assumed that he was in the kingdom because he kept all of God's law. But Jesus doesn't welcome us into the kingdom because we keep all the rules. Consider the disciples. Yes, even the disciples, they ask for greatness and glory. But Bart comes to them like a child and asks for mercy. He comes to Jesus in faith. And in this way, the blind beggar becomes a model disciple. You see, it's not what you know or even what you do that makes you fit for God's kingdom. It's how you approach Jesus. And God is not looking for good people or great people or successful people, but people who will trust in his son Jesus and follow him. You see, blind Bart trusts Jesus alone for his salvation and he serves him. Which means being a disciple is not about what I can get out of Jesus, but rather how I can serve him and other people. You see, we are captive to forces stronger than we could imagine. Without Jesus, we are captive to sin and death. And even those of us who follow Jesus are still captive to pride and the forces of this world. And what makes them so dangerous is they blind us to seeing Jesus clearly, to trusting in him and serving others. How do we remove these blindness from our eyes? How do we trust Jesus fully and serve him most faithfully? Well, I take it the example of blind Bartimaeus is that we can never fully do it for ourselves. You see, we could look at this passage and think, right, um, I need to be more humble. I need to be more of a servant. I need to work harder at putting other people first and then I will please God. But the danger is we have replaced, we've, <laughs> we've shrouded works of service as works for God that would try to earn his favour and salvation. And so God doesn't say, don't try to serve people more out of effort. He says, look to the cross. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ, because there you will see the greatest servant of all. Trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, because there you'll be forgiven of your sin. And ask him to change your hearts so that we may trust him fully and serve other people. Let me leave you with chapter 10, verse 45. That the son, of, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, 
and give his life as a ransom for many. How about I pray that God would help us to do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross and for the ways that he has served us. We thank you that his death was a ransom that we could never pay, but he has paid it in full. And so, Heavenly Father, in this world of pride that seeks power, position uh, and prestige, help us to look to the cross, to take up the nature of a servant, to trust Jesus fully and to become a servant of all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.